This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. With me in studio today, I have ex-Irish, ex-Irish footballer, do we say ex or retired Irish footballer, Richie Sadler, who is now a psychotherapist, who is here to talk to me about sex. Stephanie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are things? Good. Um, thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, I'm delighted. Uh, so tell me, you have this book, Let's Talk. Yeah. Where did the idea for the book, not the idea come from, but like the impulse to write it come from? Um, I think it was kind of a, a lockdown idea that I just ran with yeah. to be honest um, like lots of people when you've loads of time that you didn't this you don't normally have exactly born out of the same thing so it, it was so I work as a psychotherapist predominantly with adolescents um, so my, my practice is generally with, with, with teenagers and, and their parents and I was I was working in a school for a few years doing a sexual health workshop a, a module and secondary more, school or yeah secondary yeah. school um, and, and the more time you spend with teenagers and when you create a room or an environment or a relationship where they just talk openly about what they're dealing with and what life is like for them today so forget all the memories you had of you being 15 or me when I was 15 that, like what it's like for them today um, I kind of realised that us adults are for really understandable reasons sometimes unsure how to support young people in this area of their development as in sexual, sexual health like yeah. your sexuality is emerging and developing and why is it that like we all went through it why yeah. are we so useless well I'll I'll flip it back on you like did you have what are your memories of conversations with adults when you were a teenager and you had any kind of I don't know questions or concerns or confusions or anything emerging for you in this area of your life what I were don't, your options? I don't really remember ever having the, I, I don't remember ever wondering something that I didn't ask I do but I don't remember being spoken to about like my period or when that was going to come and never I, never but I don't but then I don't but but I remember it coming I don't remember being horrified so I don't know where I got that information maybe I've blocked it out but <laughs> yeah we all do that <laughs> yeah. I do remember someone coming to our secondary school with these tiny like I'm talking the size of a bottle cap little plastic fetuses and talking to our, our our education about that's the only thing I remember that our education about sex was the same as the life is precious anti sort of abortion like very Catholic that was that's what I remember we were all in the Mercy Centre and we all had to go up and look at these tiny little fetuses in this man's hand wow and it was so freaky and there was actually a girl pregnant in our year what age is this now? this is fifth year CB six. 15, 16? No, maybe 16, 16? yeah. Okay. And I was kind of young, so someone would have been 17. But that's, that was, that's my abiding memory of like these tiny little plastic fetuses and the room getting really small in my head and being like, I'm going to faint. I've no idea what's happening here. But yeah, very shameful and like not, not I, open at I, all. I don't think, in, in all the years I went to school, I think I remember for 
our junior cert science curriculum in the there was a reproduction section yeah so we we were kind of told like what goes where and how a baby is made is conceived and kind of that was it there, there was no stuff around behavioral stuff or helping you tease out any of the stuff that as a teenager you need to tease out in your own time in your own way in this area of your life and and one of the recurring things that comes up and this probably comes up but most a lot of people who work with young people is um particularly if you're working as a therapist often a young person is brought to therapy after there's been a distressing experience mm-hmm. um and your job then is, is you can describe it in many ways be there to kind of support them with the the aftermath of it or to to make sense of it or to recover from it and there was several really upsetting cases I would have worked with with young people and they got into scrapes, let's say, in this area of their life and, and, and were deeply upset or their partners were and by extension their families were. And I would then sit with the parents or the young person. What do you mean scrapes? Like they had gotten pregnant, there had been an assault? Things like, like that or uh, online behaviour. They tr- they trusted the wrong people online and photos were shared and then widely okay. shared. Um, all, all that kind of stuff. And... I'd kind of sit there and go, um, you know, what's it like for you all now to be sitting in this room talking about kind of sex or sexting or behaviour around watching porn or contraception and the relevance of the use of the need for that? And, and, and often they'd be like, well, we've never really done this before. And it's really understandable. Like, I'm not sitting here judging any adult if they haven't or, or don't talk openly in, in an informative breezy, non-judgmental way about all these things with teenagers because like you and like me, most adults in this country don't have their own memories of being a teenager having breezy, open, non-judgmental kind of natural chats with adults about But also stuff. when we were teenagers we didn't have smartphones. We couldn't send naked pictures to someone yeah. even if we wanted to. We couldn't watch porn. You know, so it was. it, it is a, a huge difference. Like, And, and that was kind of the biggest driver in doing this book it's because any generation of teenagers has the same stuff that me and you could swap stories now and our parents could and their parents could the stuff for you your body's just really you're uncomfortable in your own skin you don't know where you're going and all this usual developmental stuff that's difficult and hard and unavoidable when you're a teenager but the specific issues that today's cohort face you're right previous generations didn't so 15 year old me never had to work out well what what which bits of this porn scene that i'm looking at which which of these behaviors i'm seeing will stand to me if i repeat them in my real life in a couple of years when i have real life experiences or which is the the batshit crazy stuff that that every adult knows is is just not realistic not healthy and in many cases illegal the stuff you get arrested for, and like so, fifteen-year-old me never had to grapple with that. Or but I was does fifteen? Ne- does any fifteen-year-old brain know how to differentiate that? Exactly, that's the question, which is difficult to answer in one kind of snappy way. So I thought, well, we need to get involved in the conversation with them. So rather than judge boys or girls for being excited by porn or aroused or curious by sex or or, or, or naked bodies and scenes of a sexual nature all that's a sign of healthy development like you're, you're this part of your life is meant to be developing in this life in the in this age group so to remove all the shame all the judgment and go porn exists it's there it's accessible unless you, you know, unless you're going to have some plan to shut down the internet or take phones off young people like it's not going anywhere so rather than let them learn for themselves 
like a lot of the young clients I had where they learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Well, why not can I step in and give them certain bits of information and help them start to critically reflect on what they're watching, which is the crucial thing. And what age do you suggest that this or does the book do you in the book suggest that these conversations happen? Well, I wrote the book specifically for the age group around 15 or 16 year old boys. Okay. It's specifically targeted at boys. I figured if you go too much younger than that, a 12 or 13 year old, it's probably too young for them to grasp certain topics in, in, in a kind of meaty way. You have do to you c- think that 12 and 13 year olds aren't watching porn or seeing porn? They absolutely are. Okay, they but you think it's okay to have are. the conversation still at 15? Do you know what I think when you're talking about when a parent should broach these topics with a youngster? Like, we, 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 I think we used to come from this place where we thought it was a one-off event and it's called The Talk. Yes. And it's like, you, so your parents will sit down, I just imagine this scene, our parents are sitting there in a bedroom going, when, when should we do it? Who should we do it? Who, is it your job? Is it my job? What phrases? What age? What venue? And, and you do it and you hope that you come up with the best phrases and it's this lovely natural exchange and then that's it you close the book done we've had the talk and our job as parents is done like I, I don't know if that's really helpful anymore to approach it so like a five a six a seven an eight year old you you can certainly broach a topic with them around respecting other people's bodies and make sure that you, they know that other people need to respect their bodies and age appropriate discussions. Oh, age yeah. appropriate is the, is the is the is the is the phrase here so those conversations that you can pass on to a young person advice and knowledge and guidance and sometimes you challenge their behaviour sometimes you kind of give out to them for their behaviour but it's it's an ongoing process yes okay there's no other area where we think as parents or adults it's a one-off conversation and that's it they're done Mm -hmm. so I think to to change our thinking around this so the idea of the book was that it's it kind of acknowledges the awkwardness a lot of us have to mention certain topics also the the, the degree to which parents will be ill-informed or just ignorant to the actual realities, realities of yeah. the young person in their life, um, their, 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 their sex life or their, what's going on in their mind. Um, and the young person as well might not want mum or dad to be the person they have these conversations with because there's a stage in adolescence and I remember I had it, you might have had it, lots of people listening to this will remember theirs where it could just feel like it's a bit of a battleground between you and your parents. Mm-hmm. You're blanking them you're ducking and diving you're trying to hide things from them they're trying to get information out of you it's one word answers it's grunts it's fighting and, and, and load of different battle um, and, and, and in those cases fronts. is it better to outsource this conversation or to face the discomfort and just sit with it and have the conversation anyway well I suppose is it does it I suppose you kind of be realistic if I'm 15 and I'm spending and you're my parent and I'm spending most of my time Shouting at you that what you know why why do I have to come home at nine o'clock? Why do I need to give you my phone at ten o'clock? Why do I have to sit with you and watch TV? Why do I have to have dinner with you? Why can't I eat it in my break in my bedroom? You know all the the, yeah. the stuff that sounds really small, but it's just a young person pushing back against the boundaries of the parents. Like it's going to be very difficult at that phase to imagine there being that for the the stage to be set for like a, a, a helpful, healthy kind of back and natural forth, chat open. Yes, yeah. Yeah. so there is a time where you have to sit back and go do you know what this is a battleground now so we need time. to do something else but I think on a broader thing sometimes parents might leave it to schools and schools are sometimes uncomfortable with how much detail there might be a certain ethos in the school which might restrict what certain teachers can say and sometimes mum might leave it to dad or vice versa and kind of left where we don't 
actually in any meaningful way step in and have these conversations so we let them learn from porn and that's not a great place for a young person to learn about sex lots of adults listening to this who've had 5, 10, 15, 20 years of real life experiences of sex will be able to work out for themselves what works for them what works for their partner what doesn't work you kind of over time you just you you know trial and error you explore you experiment and and, and you, you, you land at a place which works for you and your partner but when you're a teenager you're still trying to work out that not just in sex, but in, in every area of your life. You're, you're trying on a load of different kind of behaviours and appearances and identities, and that's what you do as a teenager. But in this area, it's appropriate to start being curious about how should I behave with partners if I have experiences. And it's totally common sense that they would learn about sex by watching sex. But if the only sex a young person sees is what the online porn industry produces, we're kind of setting up young people to have lots of distressing experiences. So in a really blunt example here like it's I don't think it's okay for every young person to think that it's appropriate for a man to just to slap a woman around in bed that mm-hmm. that's just because they've seen it in porn it, it's not appropriate for the youth the whole youth population to think actually do you know what if you strangle a girl and repeatedly call her a whore and a slut you know that's 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 what you should be doing in a bedroom now if you and your partner want to do that knock yourselves out but that involves, uh, uh, do you know what I mean? Just uh, as a choice of words. Uh, it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so whatever works for you and your partner works for you both. If you're adults, adults and you're yes. consensual and you're both of, of sound mind and you're sober and no one's, there's no weird power dynamics going on. But when you're a teenager, I, I so don't think it's enough that we sit back and go, what, like, what you see is going to work. So repeat it. We're setting so, them up to be arrested. So how do you, so what does the book suggest? You have the conversation. So the the book is more than simply explaining what happens when two people want to have sex or have sex. So the book is for teenagers. Yeah. It's not for parents to have the discussion. No, it, it it's specifically for 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 boys. Um because again from working in in, in classrooms with, with in in boys schools or with with one-on-one sessions with lads or with their parents uh, there's a huge amount of curiosity and there's a massive appetite to learn. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're having this chat now for a few minutes where we're going, how do, how do we bring it up? When do we bring it up? What do we say? Like, you've got to remember, the young person is absolutely dying to learn. Like, this isn't a hard sell. Getting boys to be interested in topics around conversations about sex or porn, it's not hard. Mm-hmm. They all want to learn about this stuff. So it's just about coming up with a way that would help. So I thought the book... If you get into stuff around like relationships and, and consent and, and porn and and breakups and sexual orientation and, and all the questions that are just bouncing around in the, mo- in the mind of a lot of teenagers anyway. So you're not bringing new information and you're just acknowledging that so they have phones now. So yeah. they have access to the internet. So they have access to a huge amount of information that I didn't when I was 15. They have camera phones. So some of the earlier fumblings I would have had in a school disco or in a laneway or whatever teenagers, wherever teenagers start kissing for the first time or doing whatever else. There's a possibility now that the friends film this stuff or there's ex- footage exists and the cringy, awkward things that teenagers say to each other or that I did back in the day, they're just in my memory now. No one remembers. But now they're written down because teenagers have phones and there's and texts. they can screenshot them exactly. and share them. And, and then they can take photos of themselves and each other and then they can swap photos. And so you're, you're trying to 
tease out with them like you do with all teenagers in all areas of, of their development you're going to face choices you're going to have impulses and you're going to act but with a lot of teenagers they bypass the really important middle stage which is the bit where you think it through you, you, like a lot of adults still grapple with this but yes, teenagers yeah. are still learning this really important part of that impulse control thing. so you go impulse action but we said no no there's a middle bit tease out what your choices are and do that thing which a lot of adults can do but teenagers still learning where you join the dots between the choices you may have and the possible consequences or outcomes of these choices how will that impact me how will it impact the people around me and then so you're trying to help them in that process and I think that's much it's much better to do this before someone's sitting in front of you in a therapy s- session where you've already had a distressing experience. It, it's better to, to start this process with a young person before there's been so a So for a parents listening to this, like uh, who have a teenage son, let's say, who's, uh, who, who, want, who are saying like, this is exactly the issue we're facing now. What are you suggesting? That they buy the book, hand the book to the child and say, read this and are still sort of outsourcing the conversation? So I, or does the book lead to parental discussions? So I've, like the, the book was, I think the 7th of April, I think it came out. So in the build up to the rigs, I had no idea how this would go. No idea how people would actually use it. And I had this idea in my head that a adult or a parent older sibling whoever would buy it for a young person I, I didn't really believe many 15 year old lads would spend their own money on this mm-hmm. and I wondered how that would do. but I've had a few messages load of messages now at this stage where parents have bought it and did that thing or just left it in the bedroom and, and yeah. to see is it read is it mentioned did they bring it up others they actually sit down and give them the book um, and I got a lovely message from a, a mum yesterday actually she said um, the young fella devoured it read it off from start to finish each night kept going and it initiated it, it led to loads of conversations all initiated by the young lad mm-hmm. so there's a variety of different ways that people I think will 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 use the book but my, my main hope is that whether it leads to conversations between a young lad and the parent is one thing but the, the main thing is that the young person has the information yeah that they will, if it's if it's just a private thing where no adult ever gets to learn about the impact of it, where they're sitting in a room somewhere and they get to read a certain chapter that they really needed to read. But it doesn't really matter whether anyone in their life needs to know that that's the pages they needed to read. But the fact that they got to read it was of some help. Do you think that it's a lack of information? Like, do you think that boys, what 15-year-old boys watching porn, seeing a man slap a woman across the face that that it's actually that a book then tells them actually that's not what a woman wants and that's no way to like behave that that is all they need to stop doing that or do you think that watching porn develops a desire in them to be like well I want to I want to have sex like I've seen I want to have this crazy unrealistic sex or do you think it's just that they've never seen anything different how will I answer I suppose I, I've immediately thinking of young clients that I've had who whose experience is linked to the question you've just asked. They they would have had been in relationships where they repeatedly carried out a certain act that they saw in porn scenes and their partner repeatedly said, that's not for me. 
and then their, the lad's initial response was, "Well, you're a bit of a weirdo. What, what's this? Like, isn't this what sex is?" And they, between them, really young couple, had to work out, "Well, no, this is what I like." This, is. and then the the young lad repeatedly carried out the act, and I had him for numerous sessions then, and and we kind of he was about seventeen or eighteen, and and from the age of eleven or twelve, he was repeatedly watching porn, mm-hmm. wasn't having any real life experiences till he was about fifteen or sixteen. So that's a four to five year, three to four year period where. There's, there's there's no alternative voice in his conversation in his head around what sex should look and feel like than than the porn industry. But surely he's looking up like if he wanted to seek out a more what's the word I'm looking for a more gentle and intimate type of pornography that also exists. So it's obviously some sort of desire within him that is seeking out these specific videos where this act is enacted. No? Yeah, and the adolescent brain as well, it's wired for novelty. Okay. And algorithms in porn sites are very aware of this. And yes, I think okay. often to, to use sexual references, you might go in and, not that anyone does this, like but type in missionary position or whatever. It, it, like after a few visits, they're not the scenes that are going to come up. You, you're going to be brought to more, to, to different scenes. And, and there was, was there studies recently, there's loads of articles written about porn recently and 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 the the most like what are the types of scenes that are on the home pages of most porn sites and, and a lot of them are scenes that you would not want a young person to replicate in their okay. first experiences so it's to kind of intervene it's not to be uh, sorry this is my approach it's not to be judgmental for people to watch porn or scaremongering it's like porn plays a role for a lot of people you can explore your sexuality in a very private healthy way by watching porn, no one else is impacted. And it can help you tease out what you like, what you don't like, which is really worthwhile endeavor. But as a learning, as a, as a, as a site, as a, as a sex educator for young people. No, it's definitely not. Would you just a step in and go like, I, I, use, I think he's some example like this in the book. You watch a Spider-Man film. Mm-hmm. You won't run out afterwards and jump off a building because you saw Spider-Man do it. You, you know the difference between fantasy and reality. You, you, every young person knows that so you just have to remind them that that exact same process needs to be kicked in when you're watching porn there's fantasy and there's reality it's great to watch a fella jumping off a building it's entertaining you might like watching certain things in porn it's your own business but if you do certain things in real life it won't have the outcomes that it had in the films it'll be very very different yes but I think the the argument there is that when a child is watching a Spider-Man movie, say they're eight, and they see someone jumping off a building and he's fine, they've already had eight years experience of jumping off things and falling and hurting themselves, so they know. But if you're watching porn and something is happening, you haven't had any other experience. Mm. And I guess that's the point, isn't it? That like, yeah. in, in that vacuum, you think, oh, because if a child has never done anything, has been living in a box for eight years and suddenly sees Spider-Man, may believe, oh, if I jump off a building, hmm. I'll be able to fly. Um, but it's the, it's the absence of... Like, I, I think all these analogies are helpful because they have people... We can all think of times where, for example, you would warn a child or, or advise a child not to be jumping off things and here's why. But we tend not to have conversations over breakfast or walking the dog or sitting in traffic with a young person where you would tease out sexual behaviour and here's why you wouldn't do certain things. Mm-hmm. It's just an area where we're kind of unsure where to go with one another because it's... W- I think somewhere we'd all respect each other's privacy. We all have a right to like what we like. We all have a right to keep it from the people around us that what we like to do in a bedroom. And also sometimes we're uncomfortable. 
um, and maybe we don't want to know what goes on in the bedroom of people we know. So there's lots of reasons why these conversations don't happen. But I think it's better that they do. And and for the people who don't feel like having them or would have no idea how to initiate them or would just be terrified of the certain questions or things being asked of them by the young person, I just figured a book like this would just help some people. It might lead to deeper conversations. It might not at all. But it's just a possible resource that could help people in an area which impacts the majority, if not all, young people. Dublin Literary Award 2022, the most valuable award for writing and translation in the world, will announce its 27th winner on May 23rd. Stories by French, Irish, Michisagig Nishnameg, Alderville First Nation Canadian, New Zealand and Nigerian authors have been chosen by library patrons all over the world, the people who know books best. For tickets to the Winner in Conversation event, go to dublinliteraryaward.ie. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, humdingermortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you they will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply they specialise in helping first-time buyers people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate and like for me I'm going to switch my mortgage I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make so take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey so while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for five euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the five euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast, say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. 
that's it just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it who you think will benefit from it that helps to get our listeners up which helps us get sponsorship it's all how it works and uh, yeah I'd be really grateful if you do that too bye while I have your attention I want to tell you about another podcast on the network this one I think you'll really like it's called Fad Camp F-A-D and it's a comedy podcast about diet culture and the ridiculousness of fad diets in every episode Grace Mulvey and her co-host Connor Dowling tackle a new aspect of diet culture through but it's not too serious through funny and vulnerable personal experiences interviews and much more ever brought a baked potato to a pub to stay on your plan or have you ever gotten hypnotic gastric bands to reduce your appetite well the hosts of this show have and they're going to tell you all about it in Fad Camp Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture hosted by me Grace Mulvey and me Connor Dowling If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. And if you know that your child is 15 and is watching pornography, is it a, like, is, obviously you have to be over 18 to watch that. Is it, do you think that it's a bad thing to, like, I don't know, ban them from doing that? So find some way to. You know, it's hard, like, like trying to prevent a young person accessing porn or never seeing sex. You'd be as well going out to Sandy Cove trying to push the tide out. Like, it's just, it's, it's personally. I think of a young person, just go back to thinking of the, the the power of adolescent sexuality. Like your hormones are raging and you you it's it's so hard. Like it's this stuff is so accessible. It, like it really is. Like what what would you do? Take their phone from them? Like make sure they can't go on the and the, the computer at home or the laptop home, home ever, that they can't hang out with friends who have phones. Like it's it's I don't think it's practical to to try and prevent them. From from watching it, but it's a kind of step in and 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 help them because if they're fifteen, you're a couple of years away from being able to vote and drive and the age of consent. You might be moving out. You could be getting a job. Like you you're 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 stepping into the world where you're making all your own decisions anyway, and that's what any any parent has to do this with a fifteen or sixteen year old. That the process of handing over decision making and independence and space and freedom. But that's underway a few years at this stage. So Do you th- have any advice for how parents can open up those conversations? I I don't have kids, right? And do you know you just imagine what it would be like in your house if you had kids? And I think in, in I have this idea in, in my household that I I would hope that I wouldn't get to the point at which my son or daughter is a teen before my wife and myself sit there and go, How do we how do we bring in the word sex into the house? Mm-hmm or relationships or closeness or intimacy or, or fun and pleasure, all the stuff about relationships that, that sometimes we don't talk about. I, I would hope that throughout the young person's childhood, it would just be a thing. If there's a scene in EastEnders and people are kissing or going to a bedroom, that we would just be able to acknowledge what we're watching. And they would all be done in an age-appropriate way. But there will be some adults who, for their own really understandable reasons, are really triggered by these conversations and their own memories of their own adolescent experiences in this area m- might be uncomfortable or distressing or traumatic. And for them, it just might be too much. 
because you can be really respectful of everyone in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You can't just tell a mum or a dad, listen, park your own stuff. Your kid needs you. Um, I don't think that's fair either, yeah. fair or mm-hmm. respectful or healthy. So some people won't want to talk about it. Some people would prefer the teacher did it. But I figured the book might be a way to introduce a topic into a household, which maybe up until now found it hard to know how to broach it. Have you had any contact from actual teenagers who read the book? Yeah, actually, a, a mum yesterday sent me on a kind of a book review that her daughter, funnily enough, did. Because um, I did this as well. Like, the book is for boys, but th- there's a load in Like, one of the first things I did, I gave it to my 15-year-old niece mm-hmm. when I got the early copies from the, the publisher. Um, yeah, so I got a little review from the girl. She, she said it was all very helpful and informative and she'd recommend it to her friends. Is it is it for heterosexual boys or no, no lads okay yeah um, and I think the first chapter was around sexual orientation because I think it's interesting actually listen to some people's reaction when I first said that I was writing this and that it was for boys like, oh this is great because th- their assumption was that sex education for boys should be about making the world healthier and safer and better for women Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of give up. What about boys who like boys? Like what? Like yeah. Th- do you know what I mean? So sexual orientation is the first chapter. So like it's really appropriate. And I, and I've several young lads who, who who come to see me in my practice, who who are struggling with this area, with this question. Um, because I think in this country we can be a little bit quick to pat ourselves in the back. We for how progressive open we are. Openly gay Taoiseach, we changed the law, there's, you know, marriage equality, um, and there's more visibility of gay people than ever before. But when you're 14 or 15 and you're a boy, and maybe you might be in an all-boys school, or you're in a school where it's a very particular type of culture, or you're a social group where it's a particular type of culture, it can be really distressing. Um, and you might feel like there's something wrong with you. Um, so there's a chapter there about just the appropriateness of questioning this area of your life at this phase of your life mm-hmm. you're meant to be asking these questions and loads of people don't have the answers and loads of people spend their teens and their 20s and later life still trying to work out that um, so it's kind of again validate that and to support them in that process as well because like we're all different what we like we spent a few minutes a moment ago just saying like what's healthy for one person might be unhealthy for the next person but like because we're all completely different so in a book like this, it's not about telling people, I hope to God I haven't done this at any point in the book, where you go, this is what you should aim to do. Because yes, yeah. it, it, no one can say that of somebody else. But there's just areas where it's just useful. A young person starts to engage the part of the brain that doesn't engage when you're a child. You just you just do whatever comes into your head when you're a kid. You do as you're told or you throw tantrums or whatever. That behavior won't work for you in teenage life. It certainly won't work for you in adult life. Certainly when it comes to sexual behaviour or intimate scenarios with other people. How does the book deal with the topic of consent? I think most conversations about consent that I've been involved in or asked to take part in over the last few years have been following an allegation or evidence of wrongdoing by somebody in the public eye in this area. Okay. Do you remember the Paddy Jackson trial years ago? We were all talking about consent. And it was in the back of this scene that happened in this party one night that led to a court case. So it was really fraught and if you remember 
people had really strong takes on what happened and people were getting very worked up by hearing views or takes that differed from their own. It's not a great it's not a great environment to have really kind of open non-contentious chats about this so the, the approach in the book was just to really simplify it so take away all the kind of confrontational language and the legal phrasing and the warnings and the finger wagging approach that lots of people bring to this topic kind of go consent is just about communication and respect if you and the person you're with or the people you're with in the bedroom if you openly communicate how you feel about what you're doing what you would like to do what you wouldn't want to do you're not going to run into any difficulties in this area and in fact you're going to have much better experiences if you know what your partner is comfortable to do and you can express that to your partner the chances of the experience being positive have increased massively so there's there's that's kind of my angle of approach whenever i do any kind of consent workshops with young people it's to kind of go this isn't about keeping you out of court or, or, or keeping you from being sexually assaulted or from being raped it's about having better experiences more healthy experiences and you do that by talking and just to take a step back a bit we don't do that in this country mm-hmm. like what cohort of people who've been brought up and educated in Ireland have been encouraged to talk openly and assertively or confidently about what they like sexually none of us have had that Mm-hmm. So but does that mean that none of us are doing it? Do you know what I mean? Like, is consent, like, obviously there have been egregious missteps and... Crimes. C- like, crimes. name it. Like, it's, it's criminal behaviour and horrendous carry on. I also mean, sorry, the crimes have been committed, but also, like, missteps in how those things have been dealt with. That, like, I don't... Like, I don't think I've ever been asked or asked consent before kissing someone in a nightclub someone just goes in for it you know like yes. that's, so, but that, so that's the I think that's the it's it's worth saying that because I think when because when, I feel now young people are like do I have to ask like do you want me yeah, to kiss you and that yeah, then yeah and it's they it's, rail against that yeah it, it's like and as adults we have to be careful let's not make this be, let's not be really prescriptive about this like yeah. this is an area where the fumbling around the trial and error the doing the stuff that you really cringe about a few years later you say the stuff that you'd never say at this age but you did three years ago because you were three years younger and you were daft all, all that kind of stuff is, is is there but in relation to this it's it's just about promoting the idea that checking in with your partner and knowing where your partner is at is, is, is worth aiming for now how you achieve that it will depend on the people um, because I do think there's a difference between and this is sort of a different conversation than the book and what we're talking about now but that like someone who is out to sexually assault someone that's not a consent issue they aren't like oh I just forgot to ask consent they have an intention and they're going to do it and then there are the sort of interrelational you know that I don't think are crimes that are like you and I have agreed okay we're going to go home and we're going to have sex and then maybe at some point it gets to a point where there's something that I don't want to continue to do and then I can also allege that that's you know, that it was non-consensual sex. And I think that those two things are very different. Mm. And I do think one is a, a overt crime and then whether the other one is a crime really is difficult to differentiate if you're not there. And it's really kind of treacherous ground. And chuck in the possibility of one or both of you being drunk or high. Yeah. 
So your capacity to communicate effectively is limited. Your ability to remember specifically what happened is impaired. And 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 sitting down and, and telling a couple, you know, open communication is the way to go, which is fine. But if you're talking about someone who's blind drunk, you know, that's mm-hmm. they, they've lost the ability to do that. They won't be able to hone in on the, the, the subtle changes or, or facial expressions of the partner or even hear words that the partner saying yeah. that they're gone. Yes. Yeah. So so you, you can get into really complex scenarios here which I think is really worth doing when you talk about this area because it's way more than just telling a load of young people guys no means no mm-hmm. like that's that's not helpful the stuff that can be the I mean if someone says no that's very clear that's clear but it, it, it it's generally the the, the whole kind of grey area, area in between that, that. No. Do you know because some people are just really silent and, and it's really useful if you're ever in a classroom you probably won't get the opportunity to do it, but when you're in a room 20, 25 young lads. I was at a Premier League club last week. They asked me to go over and do talks with their under 15s, under 16s and under 18s about consent and porn and sexual behaviour. And it's it's and I've had this in, in, in schools that I've been in where you introduce topics and you just encourage them to give their opinions. Do they agree? Do they disagree? And then you basically promote or facilitate a discussion among young people about all, all these areas. And they ask really pertinent questions, which kind of throws it back to adults. Like what kind of questions? So stuff like, so I'll say something like um, checking in with your partner is always, you know, it's, it's worthwhile. So what, every minute? Because I'd say the thing is, remember, everyone has a right to change their mind. Because mm-hmm. someone will say, well, if, if, if someone agreed at lunchtime to do it and then you, you you drink all day and then by the time you have sex you're really drunk does that mean they haven't consented even though they so, so they get into the, the grey area and all that kind of stuff and then and, and the good thing when it's a workshop at Youngsters is you get them to start talking with each other about the differing ways that you can approach these topics mm-hmm. again like the aim of the book is you, you so try to initiate conversation because yeah. I'm only going to be there an hour if the whole process is reliant on me being in the room or me prodding them with questions the process is going to end in an hour. But if you kind of go in and get them to challenge each other, to question each other, share opinions with one another. That can go on. And then you leave, like, that's it. You, you, you've started something, but it's to go beyond the stuff that can be fit into a snappy tweet. Yes. Like, there's lo- loads of catchy phrases about consent and what it is and what it isn't. And if you can fit it into a tweet, great. You might get loads of likes and that might be great. It might not do much to help a young person tease out the the richness of this area. Yeah, and the potentials for, uh, yeah, and I and mean, also, also like, this area is really has the potential to give you so much pleasure and fun and enjoyment and satisfaction. I was never told that at any point in my sex education. Oh no, pleasure doesn't come into it exactly. at all. It's like, don't look at boys, you'll get pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. So so, and even I asked the lads last week in the club, it's like, what, what what conversations have you had at home about this, and. Lots of them, never mentioned. Some of them is like, be sure you wear a condom. And and I'd say, did they explain how to use a condom? No. Did they explain why you should use a condom? So, well, it seems not to get pregnant. So any follow up? No. So you literally just got one sentence in a finger wagging tone. Like, yeah, and that was it. And then in school, some of them same thing. And this is in England. Same thing. Some schools. They really teased out the behavioural 
kind of dilemmas that come up in this area. Other schools were simply, this goes there and that's how a baby's made. And then the judgmental stuff about being pregnant when you're a teenager. That's the but scenario to avoid. No one comes in and says, yes, but let's let's be good at consent and, and let's let's be safe in this area and let's communicate well in order to have fun and pleasure. Because that's, that's like, fuck it, why are we doing it if we don't have that? And why, like, do you know any territories, like any countries that are doing this well? Because I know your book will make a huge impact to these young lads and some girls who read it. But like, surely there has to be some sort of like national approach to this where like it's not based on some open-minded parent buying your book because there are lots of parents who as you say will have their own trauma will have their own damage Mm. and won't want to have these conversations won't want to buy the book in case it brings up a conversation but that child still needs this information I think there's there's an issue in this country around sex education that at the moment the ethos of each school is to be respected Mm -hmm. which is you know, a, a nice sounding phrase that in, in most scenarios people would nod away and go yeah that's fine you send your kids to a school because you like the ethos people who run the school have a right to run it by any ethos they like Every, everything's out in the open that's fine however in the area of sex education it kind of gives each school a free pass to I'll give a few obvious examples on one hand to talk about homosexuality just as Equal heterosexuality and no big deal. Mm-hmm. Other schools may not mention the word ever. Yes, okay. That's one. So I think it's better to have whatever your approach is, to have a joined up approach. Yes. So that the 16 year olds who go to the school down the road will get the same education as the ones who go up the road. Um, but we're a little bit off that at the moment. We're more than a little bit off it. Uh, Richie, if people want more from you, where can they find you? Give us the name of the book again. The book is called Let's Talk. Um, and it's available everywhere. It's available everywhere. Yep. Go and get it. And start chatting. <laughs> and are you on social media? Do you have I am on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm currently, I, I've talked a lot here in this chat about being a psychotherapist, but I, I had spinal fusion surgery before Christmas, so I'm still not at the stage where I'm physically able to return to work. So don't be ringing me for <laughs> sessions. I'm, I'm just have a waiting list, which is full, and I have no room to see anyone at all. Um because I'm not even back to work yet, but um, I will be soon. It's a pleasure to be busy, uh, mm-hmm. but we also wish you well. We, I say, if I say we, I mean me, I wish you well with <laughs> with your back. That is a, that's a long recovery. You have listened to another episode of Basically. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was Richie Sadler. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. We're produced by Julie Hassett and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you have any ideas for episodes or you want to get in touch with the show in any way, you can email basically at headstuff.org. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.